You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Jesus the innocent takes the place of Barabbas the guilty. Jesus the innocent takes my place. He takes your place. The sinners go free. The innocent man dies. But in the great wisdom of God, in an act of grace that is so profound that what should have been a catastrophe, the death of God's Son, provides salvation for the entire world. God gave the world what the world so desperately needed. Barabbas was the first life spared by Jesus' death. He was a murderer who deserved the punishment Jesus took, but he was spared, undeserving of such a great gift. As Pastor Dave will point out in today's message, the freeing of Barabbas offers us a beautiful model for the spiritual salvation we've been given in Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 18. As he continues his message, I am Barabbas. You are appeals to religious leaders thinking they would spare a man he named as their king. That's why he calls them king of the Jews. But the crowd thought differently. Look at verse 40. Then they all cried again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Not this man, but Barabbas. Not this man, meaning Jesus, but Barabbas. Barabbas. Who is Barabbas? Who is this guy? Who is this guy that is suddenly set free and the Son of God goes to a cross in his stead? What do we know about this guy? Nothing at all. Did you know that he never speaks a word in the gospel records? All four gospels mention him by name and there are 38 verses in the New Testament regarding him. But he never speaks a word. Does he have a family? We don't know. Was he married or single? We don't know. How old was he? We don't know. We can tell you, though, in three short sentences, all we know about Barabbas. Barabbas was guilty. Jesus was innocent. Barabbas lived. Jesus died. But dig further. Dig into the best commentary on the Bible. Dig into the Bible and see what it says. Well, Matthew calls him notorious. Matthew says he was notorious. Mark and Luke says he was the leader of a rebellion and a murderer. Here in the first 40 of Gospel John, John simply says he was a robber. You go into Acts 3, verse 14, and when Peter is preaching his first sermon on Solomon's porch, he calls Barabbas a murderer. So here you have this. So Barabbas is accused of rebellion, which is known as insurrection. It's when you come against the government and try to overthrow the government. What is really, really poignant here is Barabbas is set free of the exact same crime that they will accuse Jesus of. Barabbas was a cold-blooded killer. He may not even look dangerous, but he was a menace to society. And the word notorious means that everybody knew who he was. 
He had a rep. Everyone knew he was guilty of the crimes he was accused of. Prison is where he belonged. He was there because of the heinous crimes he committed. Why would anybody want to set him free? On the other hand, it's clear that Pilate struggled mightily to understand the strange man called Jesus standing in front of him. The king of the Jews, as he called him. But Pilate knew this much. Number one, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a rabbi teacher. He wasn't a wealthy man. He was a worker of miracles. He spoke in parables. And he made strange claims about himself, claiming to be the son of God. He had a very, very large following. And from the looks of these religious leaders, he had some pretty important enemies too. See, Pilate mulled over those things in his mind as he considered the case of who Jesus is. Certainly it didn't seem like a threat to anybody. Who can this guy harm? Pilate was, as you say, the cautious politician caught between the verbal rock and a hard place. He was in a bad situation. In fact, you read some of the scriptures that his wife even told him, stay away from this guy. Stay away from this guy. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, or at least of any crimes that would carry the death penalty. He's going to say at least three times, I find no fault in him. Let me state Pilate's problem in a way that you might be able to understand it. Pilate knew who Jesus was not, but Pilate did not know who Jesus was. I'll say it again. Pilate knew who Jesus was not, but he did not know who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't a criminal. He wasn't a crook, a thief, a bandit, a revolutionary, a murderer. He wasn't a lawbreaker. But Pilate didn't know who Jesus was. Was he a mystic? Was he a visionary dreamer, an idealistic teacher? Or was he something much more? Pilate didn't know that the very truth was standing right before him and was looking into his eyes. Pilate didn't know that the one who holds eternal life in his hands was standing in his presence. Yeah, Pilate caved. He caved into the pressures of the Jews. He caved. But he said, let's have them make a decision. I'm going to offer them a choice. Jesus or Barabbas? Why would they choose Barabbas? That's the major question. Why would they choose Barabbas? Who would choose a murderer over Jesus? What sort of people would prefer a killer to a teacher of the word of God? You must remember several things. That Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest that day, and members of the Sanhedrin had made up their minds. Jesus deserved to die. So they planned and they plotted and they schemed. All the while their anger got more and more and more and finally it boiled over. Jesus must die. Judas comes along with a plan. They offer him some money. He grabs the money because he's a moneymonger. Jesus had to die. And once the religious leaders had him in their grips, they weren't going to let him go. They were not going to let him go. They had evidence, never mind if it was trumped up, never mind if it was lies, never mind if it was half-truths. The statements twisted out of context no matter what. It didn't matter. Jesus must die. Maybe they were so possessed with hatred that they actually preferred a murderer to Jesus. Or perhaps they feared Jesus more than Barabbas. You know, even in saner times, this would not make sense, but these were not sane times. These were not sane times. When a crowd has been whipped up into a frenzy, they believe the worst about the best, and it doesn't matter. Mark 15, 11 tells us that the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have them choose Barabbas. 
Matthew said the elders were involved, meaning the older men, and they were trying to get the others to go for Barabbas. Well, you know what happens? You've been in a crowd before. All you got to do is stand around and a couple of people look up in the sky. Pretty soon you have 300 people standing around looking up in the sky. All it took is a couple of people to be standing there and go, Barabbas, Barabbas. It's no different than the other movie. Rudy, Rudy. It's the same thing. You start a frenzy and all of a sudden everybody starts cheering. Everybody wants, everybody just follows the blind. We want Barabbas. So Pilate, sensing the mood of the people, he hears them. He asks a simple question. He wants to know. In Mark 15, 12, he says, Then what do I do with the one called the king of the Jews? But it was too late. Crowd shouts out, Crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus must die. Now we know now that it was God's will. We know that Jesus was being obedient to God. They didn't know. They were choosing a murderer over an innocent man. There's some interesting facts that you need to know about Barabbas. It's pretty cool. When you break down his name, the first part, Bar, means son of. Remember when Jesus said, Simon Bar Jonah? It meant Simon, son of Jonah. Well, you have Bar, is son of, and then you have Abbas. Abba means father. So son of the father. That's what Barabbas' name means. And what's really interesting, in the real ancient manuscripts in chapter 27 and 17 of Matthew, his name is called Jesus Barabbas. Well, Jesus was a common name back then. His name was called Jesus Barabbas. So their choice was Jesus Barabbas or Jesus of Nazareth. What a choice. Now, to you and I, there probably is no choice. The difference between a murderer and an innocent man. The difference between darkness and light. The difference between good and evil. And even John 3, 19, Jesus said men preferred darkness over light because their deeds were evil. They wanted Jesus dead. They didn't care what it meant for them or their children. What did it mean for Jesus? More suffering. A brutal, bloody death on a cross. What did it mean for Barabbas? It meant he, the guilty, would go free while Jesus, the innocent, would die in his place. Tradition, Josephus and the such, write about Barabbas. They say that he followed Jesus to Golgotha. They say that he watched the crucifixion. As he looked on, did he recognize the other thief that he had spoken to hanging there? Did he realize that the third cross was supposed to be his? The cross that Jesus was hanging on was supposed to be his? Writer Thomas Whitelaw wrote, wrote about the crowd's choice of Barabbas over Jesus. And he mentions seven words that summarize this monumentous event. He says, quote, It was popular, but the popular choice is often wrong. It was frenzied. When passion rules, judgment dies. It was criminal to prefer a murderer over the prince of life. It was foolish to choose an enemy and reject a friend like Jesus. It was fatal in that it guaranteed judgment to the nation. It was predicted in Isaiah 53, and it was overruled by God to bring salvation to the world. Interesting. The world will always choose Barabbas because the world prefers the lawbreaker to the good shepherd. Just like it was then, it is the same today. Christ could never and will never be the world's choice. The world will always choose 
the opposite. That's why they crucified him. Now, we may feel glad that we don't have to make that decision that Pontius Pilate had to make that day in Jerusalem. But the question still hangs in the air. What shall I do then with Jesus? The choice before us is far more difficult because now we know the truth. Now we know what's going on and who Jesus is. We know that. He believed Jesus to be innocent, but he caved under the pressure and set a criminal free. What will be the end of us who know about the truth about Jesus but still prefer Barabbas? No one can escape this question. We have not read this story rightly if we think that Barabbas is bad because he was a criminal and we are good because we're not like him. A couple years ago, my wife and I, Carl and Jody, Diane and Bill, had the incredible pleasure of being in Israel. And one day we went to the old city and as we were walking on the outside of the old city, we stopped at an unusual place. The place was well manicured, it was beautiful, and there was ramps going up with railings on them. And as we sat there, Pastor Frank from Calvary Vinland took out his Bible and he started to teach on these very verses about Barabbas and Jesus, saying that now scholars believe that where we were seated was the exact grounds where the praetorium was and where this incident took place. After the teaching, he said, I want to give you all a chance to do some reflection and to do some praying. Well, folks, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. We were all pretty emotional at that time. So B and I take a walk up this ramp. We take a walk up this ramp, and we got to this balcony-type thing, and you step out and you look down, and it's the place where they believe that Pontius Pilate stood with Barabbas and Jesus. And B and I, again, eyes full of tears, started to pray. While we were there, while we were praying, something happened. Something happened in my heart. And I can't explain it, but I'm going to try. Something happened in my heart. As we were there, now, there's always strange sounds in my head, so don't get crazy. But there was this strange sound in my head. And I couldn't make out what was going on. And we were in prayer, and like I said, we were pretty emotional. But it was a sound of crying out. And at first, I didn't understand what was being said. I didn't know what was being said. There was a sound of voices crying. And I tried to listen, and I couldn't, I couldn't make them out. But suddenly, it became quite clear. I was standing there on that day. I was standing there on that day in the spot where Barabbas stood. Pontius Pilate was here and Jesus was over there. I was standing there and I was looking down at this crowd and that what they were yelling was, give us David, give us David. And I, I heard them. I heard them as clear as day and my heart just sunk. And I realized for the first time maybe ever, I realized something that I never realized before. I realized that I am Barnabas. I am Barnabas. I was set free, and Jesus died in my place. It was never more poignant than that day. Never more poignant than when I saw that and realized that it was true. It happened. And I've read the scriptures tons of times. But on that day, the scripture became so clear to me that I was Barnabas. I'm the murderer. I'm the thief. I'm the criminal. I'm the insurrectionist. I'm the lawbreaker. I'm the rioter. 
I was in prison. I was held captive by my sin. I was rightly condemned because I'm a sinner. But I was the one that was freed from my punishment. I was the one that was freed from death. And Jesus took my place on that cross. Jesus took my place on that cross that day. He died instead of me. Barnabas stands for me. Barnabas stands for me. Set free from the prison of sin. Set free from the change and the bondage of sin that was by death sentence. Set totally free. Barnabas stands for every son and daughter of Adam who has ever walked the planet Earth. He stands for us. Barnabas stands for you. Our sins have cut us off from God, so we are left to our own feeble devices. Most of us think ourselves, we're pretty good people. We're not as bad as the other guys. We're not as bad as other people next door. And sometimes that might be true. But I haven't done terrible things. Well, my hands aren't clean. We've all cheated. We've all lied. We've all gossiped. We've all falsely accused. We've all made excuses. We've all cut corners. We lost our temple. We've mistreated others. When we finally get a glimpse of the cross of Jesus Christ, we see how great our sin really is. How much he had to pay for our sin, for my sin, for your sin, for the sin of the whole world. How it came upon him that day. He who knew no sin became sin. In light of the cross of Calvary, my goodness is that filthy rags. The beauty of the gospel shines forth from this story. It's a symbol of forgiveness. Jesus, the innocent, takes the place of Barabbas, the guilty. Jesus, the innocent, takes my place. He takes your place. The sinners go free. The innocent man dies. But in the great wisdom of God, in an act of grace that is so profound that what should have been a catastrophe, the death of God's Son, provides salvation for the entire world. God gave the world what the world so desperately needed, a Savior. God gave the world a Savior. His name is Jesus. And he is the Christ, Son of the living God. And he wants to be your Lord. Isaiah 53 just jumps out of the page now when you read it. He was bruised for us. He was wounded for us. He was beaten, betrayed, mocked, scourged, crown of thorns on his head, crucified for all of us. Our sins drove Jesus to the cross, but he didn't die unwillingly. He didn't go unwillingly. If our sins drove him there, it was his love for us that kept him there. At Calvary, God has nothing left to prove to anyone. How can you doubt the love of Jesus Christ when you look at the cross? How can you doubt the love of Jesus Christ when you know it's true that God put him there, placed him there, and he hung there? J.C. Ryle put it this way. I love it. Quote, let us freely confess that like Barabbas, we deserve death, judgment, and hell. But let us cling firmly to the glorious truth that the sinless Savior has suffered in our stead and that believing in him, the guilty may go free, unquote. What does that leave us with? What does that leave us with? What does that leave us with? Well, it leaves us with the same question that Pontius Pilate asked that day. What shall I do then with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do? You can stand back and say, I don't care about him. You can push him away and say, leave me alone. You can open up your heart today and say, Lord Jesus, 
I welcome you into my life. When Paul wrote the beautiful letter to the Romans, he writes this in chapter 10. He writes this talking about the gospel and how Israel needed the gospel and, and, and how it was rejecting the gospel message. But he writes these beautiful, beautiful words beginning in verse 8 of chapter 10. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal damnation. Saved from eternal separation from God. You were created to fellowship with God, but your sin is keeping you from fellowshipping with God. Your sin is keeping you from fellowshipping with God because God cannot fellowship with sin. But God sent a sacrifice for your sin. His name is Jesus. And he died on a cruel Roman cross as all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, came upon him and he took them away. And that by believing that he did that and by accepting him into your life and by calling upon his name for, and confessing that you are a sinner, it says you will be saved. You will not be eternally damned. But you will stand in eternal praise to the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father in the throne room praising him forever and ever. It's a point of... Man, for man once to die, then the judgment. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you die with him on the cross, and you're raised with him from the tomb. And you're now alive forever with him. And you will be with him forever in glory. Some people think this is the worst thing I can possibly do to be born again. No, 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 this is the best thing you could possibly do. This is the best thing you could possibly do. And it's the safest thing you can possibly do. To trust him, to obey him. To run to the cross, lay hold of Jesus who loved you and died for you. What more could you do than what he has already done? Jesus or Barabbas? The choice is yours. It will always be your choice. It will always be a choice that God places before you every single day of the year. Every single hour, every single minute. Joshua declared it quite clearly. Choose this day which whom you will serve. Choose. A choice has to be made. If you haven't made a choice, that's the choice you've made. You've made not to follow him. There is no undecision. My heartfelt prayer that if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, that you would today. That you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You would realize that you're a sinner and that you need him more than ever before. And that you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you would call out upon him's name and you would be saved. You are the Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as I Am, 
In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's Word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.